Are you tired of working with generic IT providers that rely on you to be the expert? Arc IT goes beyond just fixing your tech headaches. They specialize in proactive IT management, BIM support, and data security for your architecture firm. The team at Arc IT gets your tech, so you can focus on doing your best work. Whether you're a small firm of 10 or a growing practice with 50 or more employees, unleash the full potential of your creative vision with Arc IT. Visit getarcit.com and schedule your free IT assessment today. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our generous sponsors, BetterHelp and Arcat.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Evan Troxel, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. I like the energy, Mark. It's so great to see you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. <laughs> I'm happy that you're here, Evan. Evan's a longtime friend, a colleague, has been doing similar things to what I've been doing for around the same amount of time. And we've sort of come up through the profession together in parallel. And so it's exciting to touch base every once in a while here on the podcast and sort of mm -hmm. get your thoughts and your feedback. You've been here a couple of times before episode 135 when you wrote your book about the ARE process, Hacking Your Life to ARE Success. More recently, episode 321, The Digital Practice, which I sort of want to talk about today, sort of technology and how it's impacting our profession. Mm -hmm. But before we jump into that conversation, I want to introduce you, Evan, an industry-leading design and technology expert with a passion for connecting people. Evan is a licensed architect in California and is most well-known for his podcasts that focus on the AEC industry. He has experience on the practice and technology sides of the architectural profession, bringing his experience together on the ArcaSpeak and Troxel podcast, and now uh, Confluence podcast. In addition to practice, Evan has also experience in architectural education. He's previously taught for over a decade as a professor of emerging technologies. And with over 25 years of experience in architectural design and project experience, he strives to make our profession better in very meaningful ways. If you didn't join us at the conference in Austin, the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our annual conference, which skipped 2023 because 2022 was a test and it was a huge success. So 2024, we're going to Nashville. And Evan spoke at the conference in Austin in October of 2022. And so Evan, I want to start with sort of that context. At that conference, you presented a very popular conversation, a very popular talk about technology. And you showed some AI that's happening. And it was pretty early in AI for a year ago, because it's rapidly changing. And you showed some mid-journey images and what architects can expect to see today. And so it's been a year. Yeah. In your opinion or your experience, what's changed in this past year? It's just gotten easier to use and to explore and to dip your feet in to the waters. The interesting thing is, as you're kind of reminding me about my talk, 
you know, one of my big themes in there was the issue in the AEC industry that we live over and over, or maybe it's just this continuous timeline, really, of the difference between adoption and innovation, but then the gap that continues to get larger and larger. And the way that I kind of visualize that at the conference was not just as a two-dimensional graph of one curve going up and to the right and the other one staying at a much lower level, but getting better over time. I visualize it as a three-dimensional, and I called it a bowl or a platter. (laughs) Because if you think about that upward graph of innovation, it's striking on so many dimensions. It's not just like you can't throw it all under one category and expect adoption to be comprehensible by the industry because it's like we're overloaded. We talked about digital fatigue at the same time, right? And so we talk about the real world response to being completely inundated all the time with new tools, new technology, new promises, new visions, new ways of working. And it's overwhelming. Just acknowledging like, okay, we're not crazy. It's not unrealistic to expect the level of adoption in AEC because like everybody else, we're constantly drowning in this deluge of stuff, right? And so I think part of it is to say, pick your battles, pick a thing and get started, pick small steps to move forward with and get in. And so I guess back to the original question of what's changed, it has gotten easier. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about these new tools, especially with AI, is just how dead simple it is to get started. Like you literally just start asking it questions. That's it. And they've figured out the interface because even back then, I mean, of course, there were researchers and people using ChatGPT and those tools, but it wasn't available to everybody like it is now. And I even think like in the next week, that'll get even easier, right? I heard this interesting anecdote or analogy earlier today. It was like your cell phone, you used to be capped on minutes. Now it's like unlimited data, right? Right. And right now you may be capped if you're using Bing's chat GPT, or if you have an open AI account and you're using it, you might hit a certain cap of like how much you're allowed to use it. That's going to go away. As we've seen so many other technologies do that over time. And I think that's an interesting way to say like, what are you waiting for? You've got all of these tools at your fingertips. And if you don't understand how they work, you may not be any good at it. But once you start to see it, you realize the kind of the magic behind it. And you start to get your gears turning on what is out there and available. And I mean, one of the things that we talked about before the show is like the next generation. These are going to be the basic tools of the next generation. These are not the experimental far out tools of the next generation. I've always been surprised to see how early the adoption is for the younger generation that to be completely digital native, to use chat GPT for homework, for And schools have to respond. Teachers have to respond, right? And they're forced to respond. It's not going to be any different. It shouldn't be any different in architecture. The existing cohort of generations in architecture also have to respond to that because it is going to be table stakes for new firms that are going to be built on these tools as their foundations moving forward. Yeah. It's very interesting that the graph that you described, sort of innovation spiking, right? It's going straight up. And architectural adoption is sort of 
very, very slow, right? And that's very traditional, right? For generations, architects have been slow adopters for anything, right? AutoCAD, BIM, now AI, right? It's all been this decade-long struggle to adopt it and move on, right? Everybody's using BIM now, but in the beginning, people sort of pushed back on it. AI is here today. I think at first there was lots of fear from AI and what AI can and will do. I think there's still a level of fear from everybody, not only in the profession. Of course. Which is healthy. I think we all have to sort of respect AI and what it can do. But I think that that over this past year, since your talk, we've experienced it now, right? There's lots more architects sort of embracing it. We're seeing lots of image generation happening at a very high level, really beautiful work that takes effort and skill in order to get that level of output from AI, right? You can't just say, draw me a beautiful picture, right? It doesn't yeah. draw you a beautiful picture. You have to give it lots of specific prompts to get it to do exactly what you want. And so there is a skill to it, even though AI can generate things very quickly. I think the thing also that compounded it, not only do we sort of slowly adopt, when this change happened and the spike happened, right? Technology is always sort of increasing, but it, you know, in the last few years, it spiked. We're also coming out of COVID, right? So we're having this change in the way we work at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that also affects people's mental state. And so people are still recovering from that mental change and that shift, which hasn't ever gone back to the way it was, and it will never go back to the way it was. And so there's change there too, in the way we work. And so we're logistically changed, we're technology changed. There's so much change in the last five years that that overwhelm that you described is very, very real at many, many levels. And I think that yeah. it's going to take a long time for us to recover from some of that and embrace the things that we need to embrace in order for us to move on and continue to adopt the innovation that's happening. Right. I feel like that idea of recovering, I don't know that I think about it that way. I think about it or going back to because it's gone. I feel like the old way is actually... No, no, I agree with you. I think a way to describe it is accept and move forward, right? <laughs> because there's still so much heels dug in not accepting because I'm still reading articles about mandates to return to the office. And I think every office gets to choose how they are going to operate. Every practice gets to choose the thing now is that people get to choose if they're going to work for that office. I think before there was a very different relationship that was there, which was like, especially in architecture, you're welcome to have a job. You should be lucky to have a job. You should be happy to have this job and you will be supervised and you will do this work in this way. I think all of that has changed in very real ways. And there's a lot more agency for employees now, you know, there's a gig economy. Things have completely changed in the way that work is delivered, the way that expertise is delivered, in how much time you're willing to spend to do that. Like, Are you just going to be under contract with one entity to do that? Or are you going to be contracting with lots and lots of people to deliver that in very small, potent doses? I think there's so many different ways now to slice and dice expertise, effort, deliverables, and assemble teams and disassemble teams. And to me, that is getting back to this idea of accepting and moving forward. It is a completely different landscape. And if you're hanging on to, and maybe you're towards the end of your career and, and the right thing to do is to hang on to, 
the way that it's been done because you don't have the capacity to change. You don't have the desire to change because it's not going to be there forever. But for those newer firms to, or those younger firms and those, those middle-aged firms that are out there who are constantly trying to deal with how they set themselves apart, the old way doesn't exist. There is only the now way to do it and the future way of doing it. And those things I think need to take a higher priority. And these are Things that come up on my podcast, these are things that come up on lots of podcasts in the AEC industry, and that is how do we step back and how do we design ourselves? How do we redesign our practices? We're so focused on solving our clients' problems, but we really have to solve our own problems. And I think, you know, getting back to your mental health comments there about how do we take care of ourselves? How do we take care of our business? How do we start to ensure that success for the future? How do we ensure adaptability? for the future. And being set in the ways of we've always done it this way is not going to help you get there. You're not soft enough. You're not malleable enough to change. And so you're not going to survive. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest threats to the industry is just this inability to even take small steps to change for the future generations of the practice of architecture, the professionals. If we don't, create a place for them to land that is interesting enough, that is meaningful enough, what do they have to look forward to in this industry? Answer that. Because honestly, if it's just the way that it's always been done, they're not interested in that. They're not going to stay around. They're going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And if we don't as a whole, right, I've talked about this, you've talked about this, others have talked about this, there's a real possibility that the architecture profession becomes obsolete. If we don't, mm -hmm. because change is happening so fast, if we don't embrace it and move on and adopt things and adjust and evolve and strengthen our profession, others will, right? Other industries will come in and gladly take over the things that we're pushing against because they will. And architects will no longer be needed to do the things we do through technology and other industries very easily replaced. Yeah, they're doing it. They are coming in and taking that ground and democratizing. There's a book that came out a long time ago. We maybe even have talked about this. I might have even referenced it in my talk, but it's called The Future of the Professions. There's actually been an update to that book. And they look at various professional people out there, accounting, law, architecture, and they just talk about the democratization of tools and the getting rid of the gatekeepers. Because the tools now are available to everybody. And we see this with image generation stuff like Midjourney, like Dolly 3. There's a new one that my son and I have been playing with called viscom.ai, I believe is the URL, where you can upload a sketch, like a very simple sketch. And it just does beautiful work turning that into a photorealistic image. I mean, talk about a shortcut. Right. My son draws this very crude supercar and I'm putting that in air quotes because, you know, that's what he called it. And it's like you type a prompt in. This is a concept supercar. And it literally it abides by the lines in your sketch, but it turns it into a supercar. And he's just like, yeah, I'm a car designer. Right. And of course, he's not a car designer, just like somebody who uses Midjourney for architectural images is not an architect. But the fire is lit, man. Like that to me is what is so insanely cool about this is it is really inspiring people to do new things, right? And I think that that to me is we are watching the evolution happen and you could complain about it. You can say it's not real, that you can't build that. 
that's not what inspiration's about. Inspiration is about lighting a fire of curiosity and creativity. And to me, like these tools are the next level of that. That's what's so exciting to me. And I actually, you might listen to what I'm saying and might be thinking technology is the answer. That's the only path forward. I don't actually think that. It is a hybrid approach. Like, and this is what the work that I was doing at Tech, the work that I was doing at HMC, leading their digital practice, the hybrid approach is young, fire, and young is the wrong word. It's a mindset, right? It's an inquisitive, curious, creative mindset combined with tools, which is something humans have leveraged forever. Right. This is just the new version of those combined with wisdom and experience, right? Those two things coming together and enabling a path forward where those older generations of experience and wisdom aren't saying you have to do it the same way that I did it, but actually coming together and enabling new ideas to come out of that, new paths forward, new business models, new ways of thinking, new ways of working with clients and including them in the design process, new ways of making decisions in projects that save time and money and reduce change orders, very realistic things as well, very pragmatic things as well as the fantastical stuff. To me, that's the sweet spot, right? And so you do need, and this is a theme I see over and over again, you need it from both ends. You need the grassroots doers and you need the visionary what-if leaders coming, meeting in the middle and creating a new special thing, a new way forward together because you have to have both. Like if you're just an image generator, a prompt engineer, I hate that title, right? But it, there is craft to it, as you alluded to earlier. Yeah. You can't get that thing built without the decades of experience of people who've actually done it. The goal is not to continue to do it the same way. The goal is to constantly infuse new ideas into the practice of architecture. Architecture is changing. You, we can either be a part of that or we can stand on the sidelines and watch and then suddenly not be a part of it one day. Yeah. And the human side of it is still very much a part, as you allude to, right? That it's not just going Absolutely. to be technology, right? The robots aren't going to come and take our jobs in our generation, right? And they may in the future, yeah. but they're not going to do that now. The theme for the next conference, the Ontario Architect Conference, is the future of architecture is human. Because I believe that that's exactly mm -hmm. where we stand, right? The technology is there. Let's embrace that technology. Let's use those tools. But the things that will allow us to rise and continue to lead the way in the building and built environment is our humanness, right? Is our ability to communicate and connect with our clients and with the contractors and the people who were involved in the process. Yeah. Yes, the machines are there. The tools are there. They've always been there. There's always been a new, faster, more economical, more efficient way to do architecture. And there's always been a human who's leading it, right? And so... That human can be architects or that human can be someone else, but it's going to be a human. Right. You've all seen the Gartner hype cycle, right? It does something like that, right? And there's like the real high, high where we are right now with AI at the top of the roller coaster. We're about to enter the trough of disillusionment, which is the low, low <laughs> point where all technologies kind of have gone through this, but then they emerge back up and they come back out of that trough of disillusionment as they start to become useful tools. And I don't think AI 
is just one point on that curve. It's many points along that curve, right? There's different pieces of it that are all hype, and there's other pieces of it that are actually coming out of that trough of disillusionment because they've been around for 30 years, right? And so even though this is the current news cycle and the current hype as far as like what we're getting bombarded with on social media, LinkedIn, everybody's talking about AI all the time. This is something that's been around for decades and the research has been working hard on making it easy for people to access and use. And of course, now we have so much data that these models can be trained and they can be useful to people. And on other levels, we're seeing that trough of disillusionment is going to come where it's just like, what's real? People are just going to throw their hands up in the air and say, I can't tell if that's real. And I also think there's going to be some kind of like rubber stamp that we're going to want to put on things that say, this is absolutely not AI. This is 100% human creativity. And that's what you're paying for. I think there's going to be all kinds of, you know, variations along that gradient in between those two extremes. But it is interesting to me to think about this specifically and to think about the human side of it. And we see companies like Autodesk, we see companies like Microsoft, OpenAI, where they talk about the future of work and this being your co-pilot. They're very specific about branding it like that, as this is augmenting you, right. the meat body, right? As the yeah. the real creative curator and experienced individual in your profession and then using that tool to your advantage using it for leverage which is what a tool is used for right use it as leverage to get you somewhere faster more beautiful more functional like whatever that thing is like these are the tools and then that's what they're for so use them for that and they are very at least right now saying these are your co-pilots we don't see humans going away from this and yet we still see people very worried about that so they could change their tune. These companies, of course, they do change their tune over time, right? We've seen it happen with all the giant tech companies. They started out as one thing and have ended up somewhere else completely. And so that could happen. But at the same time, like I really do embrace that message right now, which is stop talking about them as AI and stop talking about them as whatever the word du jour is, right? It could be metaverse. It could be generative design. It could be BIM. These are tools that are there to be leveraged for your benefit. And if you avoid them, you won't learn how to use them. And then when the next version of that thing comes out, you are now two versions behind. That's what we keep seeing happen over and over. And we, in air quotes, as the general AEC industry, for the most part, stand on the sidelines and watch and kind of wait for permission or wait to see what happens rather than taking it by the horns and and going for it and seeing what we can do with it. But what's very interesting is you talked about your son in the supercar a couple of minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. And how excited he was. And he said, I'm a car designer, right? Thrilled. There are young architects out there doing the same thing with MidJourney or other tools and designing architecture and getting excited about architecture. How long has the architecture profession been trying to figure out ways to reach the younger generation to get them into our profession? Well, here you go. Here's the opportunity. Right. They're already doing it. They're already excited about it. So let's embrace these tools and welcome them in, right? And welcome that next generation and learn from that next generation on how to do it. And at the same time, we have to fix the current processes because the reality of what those younger emerging people are excited about versus the reality of what they walk into when they sit down right. in your firm for the first time are two completely different worlds. And so 
you can't bring them in and say like, oh, I'm so thrilled with your ideas, with your curiosity. I'm so thrilled with your intrinsic motivation to figure this stuff out and then sit them down to do the most mundane tasks known to the profession. All right. Here's an AutoCAD station. Go draw some floor plans. <laughs> As a leader in this profession, you actually need to be working on automating that crap away. Because if you don't, and the reality is somebody lands in a chair in a cubicle to do that kind of stuff, wow, what a slap in the face, right? What a bait and switch kind of a thing. And just go to university reviews, watch the reviews, see what the students are producing. It'll blow your mind, right? And then there are the realities of practice. And there are the drawings and the schedules that have to be done and the drawing sets and the PDFs and the coordination and all those things we have to figure out a way to reconcile all that because these tools also exist. And so you can't just look in one direction. You have to be as a leader in AEC, in a firm, however you want to think about the construct of what we're talking about here. You have to have a wide field of view when it comes to all that stuff. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Architects, listen up. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world and is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. I know this community of small firm architects very well. And I see, I see many of you struggling. That's why I reached out to this episode's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote. And by filling out just a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in the show notes. It's betterhelp.com architect. Just use that link, betterhelp.com slash architect. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. So you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. If you need someone to talk to, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the show notes or visit betterhelp.com slash architect. That's betterhelp.com slash architect. Thank you to BetterHelp for supporting this podcast and for supporting our community of small firm architects. For over 30 years, RCAT has been providing AEC professionals with high quality and up-to-date building product information. Today, RCAT.com is much more than a product catalog with BIM, CAD, and specifications created in collaboration with manufacturers. Beyond that, RCAT.com also offers lead data continuing education resources, newsletters featuring the latest projects and products, and don't forget, detailed podcasts. Artcat.com is truly the one-stop shop for everything architecture. Try it out. Go to artcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. So Evan, you've done this, right? You've been a director of digital practice. You've been in the role yeah. in a large firm to help a firm evolve and embrace technology and learn it. There's thousands of architects listening right now. We've just talked about the importance of this change and this embracing and adopting technology. How do we do it 
if we're talking to a small firm, right, who is hearing you, right, they're resonating with what you're saying. Yes, we have to do this. We have to make this change. But it's so hard, right? I have all this work that I need to get done and I have bills coming in and I have clients that are, you know, with deadlines. How do we actively, like practically, how do we take those first steps to embrace the technology and move forward? That's the magic bullet, right? That's the million dollar question, I think, for a lot of people who want to get started. And for the experience that I have was you cannot steal a percentage of somebody's time away in a position or a role that they already fulfill to handle this stuff. That is completely impractical. You need to identify, hire, whatever version of that word you want to choose, somebody to lead that effort. And that leader will eventually, over time, have to build a team to fire on all those cylinders. And it's important work. I mean, to me, I had a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine, and it was interesting because what came out of it was there are people who have so much responsibility that they hire somebody to take on the stuff that is not as high value for them. We all ask the question at some point, like, what is the highest and best use of my time, my expertise? That's what I need to focus on. And we need to backfill that with others who are passionate about those other things. But we also ascribe a lesser value to those things when we do that often. And so therefore, that person, let's just use a BIM manager as an example. If you're going to hire a BIM manager, are you hiring a BIM manager because it is a crucial part of your delivery process and there is a high value there or are you doing it because you don't want to do it because those are two completely different outlooks right you've got one that says that is less value than i am willing to spend and therefore i need to hire a lower value person to do that lower value job versus this is critical it's mission critical this is on the short path to the most important thing of how we deliver our projects and how we make our money and how we run our businesses successfully those are two completely different outlooks so when it comes to setting up your firm for success for adoption for evolution in these things you actually have to put people in place whether it's you or somebody else and you have to pay them really well because it is critical to your business moving forward. And if you don't do that, it's not going to happen. You have to have somebody own it 100%. And if it's overhead, it's overhead. Like that's the cost of doing business. And that has changed over time. Like you can't keep hanging on to the old model. You can't have somebody in that position having to be 80% billable or even 50% billable. Like you will be able to tout your wares If you implement this stuff after the fact as you don't do it before the fact, you don't talk about what you're going to do, you do it. And then you talk about the success and you get to ride on the coattails of that success and say, look at, we're doing it. Here it is in action. This is how it can help you clients. But you have to have somebody own that because if they can't own it, the project deadlines always win. If you have multiple things competing for someone's time, the project always wins. The business side of it always wins, right? That's how it works. And so you can't have that split because if there's an expectation there that there's still some project work, the project work always takes over. So you're describing a role, a new role, essentially. Large firms have that role, right? Many of them have directors of innovation, right? They have whole departments full of that. Right. But small firms and people we're talking to here, 
if it's them, they need to make it very intentional and specific that part of your job is this role. And you're dedicating time on your calendar to do the research, to create the systems, to implement it into your firm. And if not, then you're hiring somebody to fill that role, right? That you have somebody who's in charge of this innovation question. And how do we change the way we work? Or a consulting company. There are, because this has been around for so long now, there are amazing companies who bring additional experience and wisdom from working with other companies to you. And they give you that benefit of not having to start with a blank page. And I think that is a benefit. And I think more people should invest their dollars into companies like those than try to bring somebody in and start from scratch. I mean, if you bring somebody in who has the experience, that's different than starting from scratch. It might be starting from scratch for you, but for them, it's like, I've been there, done that. And they can do it again and they can do it better and they can move faster because you're a nimble, smaller company who can make decisions and do big things with a small team. It's very hard for a big team to even do small things. (laughs) It is very much to your advantage to be a small team who can do big things. So yeah, whether you're hiring somebody with experience to come in and take on that role and responsibility, or you're using a company that offers that as consulting services, whether it's IT, whether it's actually the kind of stuff we're talking about with BIM and generative design and scripting and high-end modeling and visualization techniques, like you can augment your team and not take on the risk of having employees as well. And definitely is a valuable way to move forward. Yeah. And small firms do that all the time, right? They do it with production work. They do it with executive work, right? You're hiring CFOs and accountants. You can do the same thing. Hire a company that specializes in this, that you just get this fractional, you know, director of innovation that works for your company. Right. And helps you make those changes. Evaluates what you're doing now and what you want to do in the future and provides a path and a plan to get there. Yeah. That's very exciting. And that's a good answer to what do we do? How do we do it? Right. Is to understand that this is not just something that you sort of snap your fingers and declare that it's going to happen. You actually have to be intentional and hire a human to take on this role with that responsibility, create a plan and a way to get to where you want to go. I think the other thing that's very important is the culture. And I'm sure you've seen this in lots of your work, the culture of your office the mindset of your leaders have to be very specific, right? Can you talk about that Mm -hmm. as well? How important the culture of your firm is to this change? Absolutely. I'm glad you bring that up because it is so multifaceted. I think a lot of people may see this as a magic bullet. You hire this one person, they come in, and then magic happens. And all of a sudden, we're digitally savvy and we're delivering stuff. And and we are spending time on the beach now because we have so much extra time. And honestly, like the transformation is slow and hard. And we have to be honest about that because one of the things that I saw early on in my role as digital practice director was that I came from the practice side, so I understood how technology can benefit the practice side. And I worked with clients. I was an expert communicator. And now I'm the bridge between the grassroots and the leadership of the company to build that bridge between those two sides of the equation to say, we have to implement a training program. We have to train our people. We have to upskill everybody. We have to, what I call, raise their digital IQ. Everybody. If you're a leader, I'm going to show you what these tools can do so that you understand it. And if you're an emerging professional, I'm going to teach you how to use them. And you have to do every step in between that. And so 
like I said, it's very multifaceted. The way that I kind of think about it is technology solutions and support, which includes training and culture. And you want to create a high-tech subculture in your company. You want to put people on a pedestal who are excited about the future of the profession and what these tools can do. And you want them to talk about them out loud in front of everybody and show them off. Even if not everybody's going to use those tools, you want to make it okay for those people to share their passion for their slice of the architectural profession. Just like you would with a designer, just like you would with somebody who's amazing at interiors and they just totally understand fabric and texture and color and mood and emotion and psychology. Like you want to highlight and showcase what these people are passionate about and let them tell you why they're passionate about it. There are so many pieces to that culture part of it. And so, yeah, I always thought about it as like, we want to create a high tech subculture in our firm. And I don't know if it matters how big or small your firm is you still, you need to enable those people to do that and let everybody know what's so exciting about that and what the possibilities are so that they can spread that around and just let that stuff flow inside the creative force that is a practice of architecture. Yeah. And even if it's traditional architecture that you're designing, right? Because your mind right away, when you say build a high-tech firm, your mind says, oh, it's going to be high-tech architecture as well. Not necessarily any type of architecture. It's just the way the process that you're using and the tools you're using are high-tech. A perfect example of that is Mancini. Right. Right. Mancini, 100-plus-year-old architecture firm. You dug in as a traditional architecture firm in the last decade, they've totally transformed to maybe one of the highest tech companies in the world practicing architecture. Absolutely. And it takes a vision for somebody. And if the current leadership doesn't have that vision, you've got to get somebody in there who does have that vision and you've got to let them own it. I'm getting back to that theme, right? If they don't get to own it, then you're wasting your time. You've got to give this is an interesting, maybe little rabbit hole we can go down, but I taught emerging professional. You talked about it in my bio, right? I taught emerging technology at the university in the architecture department. And after that class, I'll get to the content of that class in a moment. One of the students came up to me and said, this is the best class I've ever taken at this university. And they were like a fourth year design student. And I was like, yeah. are you serious? How is that even possible? And they said, You showed me that I don't have to fit into one of the three traditional roles in an architecture office that all of our professors think are the only roles possible. You can either be a designer, which is what they were being trained to be, or a project manager or a technical architect. You showed me I can be a drone operator. I can go into 3D printing. I can do AR, VR. I can do visualization. I can do generative design. I can do sustainability. I can do all these different things. It's incredible. I actually had a student say, I got my drone license and I built my own 3D printer because of this class, right? And I started offering services to the other students. Entrepreneur, right there. Entrepreneur architect. Yes. Just built a business while a student in a school based on subjects that they were exposed to during this class. And to me, again, like this is the thing that is so exciting, I feel like, is like there aren't three roles anymore. There are hundreds of roles. And People will go to the place where those roles exist. And that, to me, was a big part of creating this culture at the firm that I was at, was creating a place for amazing people to land. If you don't have those landing pads, they will never come. Why would they? Why would they even look at you? Why would they even consider coming to work at your firm 
if you don't have a place for someone with their aspirations to land. And so you've got to create those. And if you don't, you're going to, again, get kind of passed by for the top talent. If you want top talent, back to the value of humans, right? Yes. This idea of you need top talent. Like that's what you're actually hiring. And it may not even, I'm so tired of hiring people for Revit skills or for AutoCAD. Like they'll learn that if you're willing to teach them. It's a whole other subject, whether you're willing to teach them or not, right? But what are their aspirations? What are their motivations? That to me is what you're actually hiring for. And of course, their talent, their design talent, their eye, their abilities, like all of those things, they could be applied to any tool. Again, like, are you willing to teach it or not? Are you just going to expect that they are going to sit down and start cranking out window schedules, right? These are the kinds of things that I think are also really important to talk about in that conversation, but I know it's also kind of a side topic in where we're at today. I don't know if it is. I mean, you and I started this conversation talking about technology, the cutting edge of technology. And we're talking now about people, right? We're talking about culture and leadership and all the things that businesses have been doing for hundreds of years. And that is the answer, right? You have to create a role who's in charge of this innovation. You need to create develop a culture that's embracing of technology. You have to have leaders who are setting the example that this is the route, right? Have the vision. This is where we're going. Who wants to come with me? If you don't want to come with me, find somewhere else, right? Because this is where we're going. That all takes leadership and vision Mm -hmm. and it's all human based. And so it's really exciting to me that there is that roadmap to adopting technology. There's a book that I began to read. I haven't finished it. The title of it escapes me. It's not in my eyesight right now. But the idea behind the book was that there's two phases in your professional life. There's the fluid phase and the crystalline phase. And the fluid phase is when you're the doer and you're the one who's being super creative and the ideas are flowing and you're connecting the dots and it's very fluid, right? Then there's this crystalline phase. And I think some of us feel this, right? It's like muscles are getting tighter. I'm not as open to trying (laughs) new things. And there are many of us who push back against that. And what I've tried to do in the idea in this book, confirmation bias, admittedly, was like, no, embrace it. Because that's the teaching phase of your life. This is when the wisdom and the experience can be directly applied to those coming up and help them get ahead of where you left off. I use the analogy of being a parent all the time, and I don't see it enough in business, which is like, I give my kids every shortcut possible. Are they going to always listen? Of course not. But I don't want them to repeat my mistakes. I want them to know everything that I know before they even start, right? I want to give them every advantage possible. And then you look at architecture and it's like, no, you have to do it the way we've always done it. And you have to pay your dues and you have to do it like I did. And it's so much easier now. I'm going to even make it harder for you. It's going to take longer for you to get up to that next position. We see this all the time. It's like this weird lizard brain protection mechanism that we see so often in the profession. That to me is really disheartening to see because the idea of giving somebody the advantage so that they can take it somewhere you never dreamed of is totally within your power if you just accept the crystalline phase and say, now I'm your secret weapon. I'm your secret weapon. And you're going to go somewhere that I never thought was even possible. And that to me is like, again, that's that sweet spot that I was talking about earlier. What I'd love to do 
do a little visioning exercise with you before we ask you the final question and wrap things up. I would love for you to sort of put yourself just five years ahead, right? Now we don't have to talk about a decade ahead because <laughs> change is rapidly so rapid. And I know it's impossible to predict, but I would love for you to sort of describe if it all worked out the way we hope, right? Talking here about how we want adoption to be ubiquitous and our profession thrive. If we do that and things are working out and the technology has grown and AI is that old way of describing that technology because AI, the word, is not used anymore five years from now because it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. Yeah. It'll be funny to think about, oh, we call that AI and it was this new thing. Right now it's everywhere. It's in our refrigerators, right? It's going to be everywhere. Yes. What does that look like? What is the architecture profession, a typical day in a small firm five years from now, if mm -hmm. we embrace that technology? Because I know a lot of small firms won't, so a lot of them will be doing it just like they're doing it today. But what if they did? What if they embraced the technology and the technology continued to evolve? And five years from now, we have this amazing new way of practicing. What does that look like? It's funny that you bring this up because there's a couple of things that come to mind, which are, number one, I always positioned digital practice as just what we call it now. Eventually, we'll just call it practice, right? right? Which speaks to what you were just saying about AI. It's everywhere. It's everything. It's just going to be, you know, given with just about every tool that we use. And then the other thing is the vision of the future to me, and this is of course, my idea right now will never hold up. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's what I want you to do. I want you to dream and imagine what it could be because I agree with you. I think in five years from now, it's not going to look like what you described. It isn't going to look like it. And that's why I don't have high hopes for this, but man, the business model will be completely different. We won't compete on drafting anymore. Like that kind of thing will be automated away. What is the true value of an architect? And to me, we have to, number one, stop complaining that people don't know what the value of an architect is. That is completely on us, right? Yes. But we will be able to show our value and we will be able to deliver experiences that builders and developers can't deliver because we're architects. And the quality of space and the quality of the environment matter that ecosystem that we create and how that affects people's lives physically and mentally to be better contributors to society will be completely evident. And we will get paid accordingly for our expertise to deliver, synthesize possibility into reality. And so we'll be able to take somebody on that journey and we will synthesize their hopes and dreams. Architects do this now yep. into reality and we won't have to spend our time hunched over the drafting table or the CAD system behind a screen to do it because the tools will do that for us, right? And we'll be able to charge accordingly. We will still be fighting to say, like, will this just completely democratize away our expertise? And will the gatekeepers get disintermediated? It's possible, but you have to stay ahead. Like, that's why you have to stay ahead. And that's why you can't be behind. Right. And so it's like, if this, then that you have to start small now, maybe you need to ask me your final question. <laughs> because <laughs> We can go there. You know, the question, if you want to answer it before I ask it, go for it. Yeah. I mean, what do small firms, what can they do today? Yeah. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? And this is the same thing that I talked about in my talk in Austin at the Entree Architect Annual Meeting. You have to pick a thing and start today. 
you have to pick a technology. In, in this case, let's just limit it to technology. Let's limit it to ChatGPT. You have to start asking it questions and you have to start to unlock what's possible there. And can you trust it? No. Can you trust, if you ask the same question to five people, would you get the same answer? You wouldn't, right? So stop expecting the computer to be so perfect in this case, because all it's doing is synthesizing all of the human-made knowledge right. and a bunch of other crap that's been on the internet over the last 20 years to create its answers, right? But you have to dip your toes in. You have to get started today to show what's possible. So pick a chat version pick an image generator, just get an open AI account and start playing. Like literally yep. play, let loose. Don't chain yourself to this has to be productive. This has to make me more efficient. This has to write some crappy blog post for me. No, like just see what's possible and start playing with it. Just like my son did with viscom.ai where he's like, can you please take a picture of this and upload it? And with my phone, I literally took a picture of a pencil drawing that he did dropped it in there and it made it look like a supercar. And he was just mind blown. Like if you could have that experience today, would you do it? Are you in? Like, that's the question. Yeah. And I think that this is the kind of thing that I hope more and more people are open to. I actually have a podcast coming out soon. It may be out by the time this one's out about governance, AI governance, AI ethics. And of yeah. course that's part of the conversation. And so follow me online and I'll let you know when that episode drops because it's an important conversation to be having also. It's not like you just go in blindly to all the stuff and you start using it for your professional output. But these are tools. They are not going away. The toothpaste will never go back into the tube, right? So you've got to start playing with it. So what's that one small thing? Just get an account. And the reason I say get an account is because then you're like unlimited. You can do whatever you want. You can really play in the sandbox of AI in this case and just see what it's capable of. And will you use all of it? Absolutely not. But will it make you open your eyes to what's possible? I think so. And to me, then that is a gateway into getting into all of these other high-tech things that are out there putting pressure on the profession of architecture to get better fast. And that's something we have never been good at. And so if you're on the bleeding edge of that or the leading edge of that, you have a way better chance of survival. And that's what I hope. I hope for success and I hope for just abundance with this. Like there's no shortage of projects that need to get built. We just have to figure out better ways to do it. And that's what tools are for. Your vision of the profession is very optimistic and exciting. And interestingly, it's what we are all dreaming of, right? All of us, mm -hmm. every architect who's listening to this, that's exactly what we want. And it can happen if we choose to go there, right? And so go through those steps. Decide that it's going to happen from the top down, create the culture, hire that person, and then take the steps to do it. Create that plan and move forward. And just imagine if thousands of us did that, how quickly the profession could move and shift in the right direction without any fear, right? It's not that hard. Right? All you're doing is embracing the technology that's out there and start using it. So Evan, I appreciate you for coming by here, having this conversation, super interesting conversation to understand where we are today and where we might go in the future. You can learn more about Evan at troxel.co. It's T-R-X-L.co. Go there and learn all about what Evan's doing. Connect with him on social media. Thank you, Evan, for the work that you're doing. I know you're out there working hard for change. Been in many different levels of the profession out there leading the way. 
showing us how it's not that scary to do the things that we dream of doing if we just take the first steps. And so I appreciate you for doing that. And I appreciate you for coming by here again at the Entree Architect podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am passionate about our industry and what it's capable of. And to me, like the sky's the limit. We just have to act like it. And I do believe that we can change it from inside because if we don't, it will come from the outside and we're not going to like that. So (laughs) I really encourage people to be the change and to take those small steps now so that you can start to see what's possible. And I have high hopes for the future of our profession. So thanks, Mark. I really appreciate you hosting me today. Yeah, you're welcome. And if you have any thoughts about this episode, post them in the comments to this episode. I'd love to hear your take on it. Do you think Evan and I are crazy? Do you think this is not going to happen? Are you going to continue <laughs> pushing? Or are you optimistic? Are you excited about the future and the tools that we have? So pop in the comments, say hello, and share your comments. Evan and I will be in there and responding to you. Evan, thanks again. Thanks, Mark. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a link with a friend. That is the best way to help us grow. And that's how we have grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Share a rating, write a review, but most important, share a link to this episode that you just listened to. Go send it off to a friend. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode. Links to the sponsors and all the resources that we discussed today in today's episode. They're all found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast. Entree Architect Podcast select episodes are available for continuing education credit. Go learn more at gablemedia.com slash members. And if you are a small firm architect, listen up, architects. Join us today at Entree Architect Network, the worldwide organization for small firm entrepreneur architects. That's you with monthly business training, business resources, special session webinars, mastermind groups, and a thriving community of small firm architects. Your peers are there. Hundreds of them are there already. We will provide you with the support and the encouragement that you need to succeed. Hey, and this is super exciting. This is new coming in 2024, Entree Architect Coaches. Yes, finally, after all these years, business coaching for small firm architects. It's coming to Entree Architect Network in early 2024. Join us. Try Entree Architect Network for free for 30 days. It's free for 30 days. Visit network.entrearchitect.com to learn more. That's network.entrearchitect.com to learn more. Try it. Come join us. Try it for 30 days. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage. Love, learn, and share what you know. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. 
But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.